0: well hey everybody it's my joy to welcome you i want to say a special welcome to our hayward campus family i'm so glad you are here as we kick off our brand new series called tough questions my name is paul i'm one of the pastors here and i want to let you know right off the top that you are in a place that doesn't just tolerate questions we invite questions We believe that genuine faith is built on having a real relationship with God that must include open dialogue. And one of the best ways uh, that we grow spiritually is by wrestling with and working through the tough questions of life. So what we've done is we've collected your tough questions, but before I answer any of those, I'd like to make a few disclaimers. If you'd open up your program and pull out the light purple sheet, we have an outline for our questions tonight. And I want to say right off the top, the first disclaimer, would you write this down? My first disclaimer is simply the Bible. The Bible. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that the Bible is our ultimate answer book. So in this series, we are going to do our very best to answer your questions by asking, what does the Bible say about that? That's our first disclaimer. The second one, would you write this down, is biblical principles. Biblical principles. If, if the Bible doesn't speak clearly toward a subject, we will do our very best to look for biblical principles to guide us. For, for example, when the Bible was written, there wasn't pornography on the Internet. Just didn't happen. So here's the question Is it a sin to look at pornography on the internet? Well, here's the deal. There's no verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not look on pornography on the internet. But there are biblical principles that give us guidance and direction. So we're going to look, if we don't have a direct answer, we're going to lean into biblical principles. And then one last disclaimer just know in advance, you are not gonna like all the answers we give. Some of the answers may make you mad, some of them may frustrate you, and some of you may even wonder, well, what if I disagree with the pastor? Well, I just wanna tell you up front, you have every right to be wrong. Just <laughs> let you <know>. kidding, kidding. <laughs> the, the, the truth is, none of us are God. None of us have perfect wisdom and the perfect answer to every question. In fact, right now, I want you to do something very profound. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say these, these simple words. I may be wrong. I may be wrong. <laughs> Friends, the truth is... Yeah. Yeah. You guys are enjoying this a little too much. Hey, the the truth is, I heard some wives saying, yes, you are wrong. So, so, uh, hey, the truth is, uh, we're going to do our best to look to God, to look to his words, but we must have humility. And here's the disclaimer, right or wrong, agree or disagree, we're a family here. And in this family, we show love. We show love. So, so write the word love down. First Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 tell us to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. This is telling us, hey, have your convictions, stand strong in God's word, hold on to what you believe is true, but what's the last part of the verse? But do everything with love. And so that's what we're gonna do in our place. Are you ready? Yeah. Shall we dive in? So here, here we go. Number one question. This is what's the number one question that we've been asked by a staff, not just for this series, but all year long. There's not a week that go by that people don't ask, when will we finally be in our new worship center? And today we have our answer. Here's the answer. We will have a soft opening in July, July of this year. When I say soft, I mean bare bones. We're going to get in there, figure out how to make the building work, all of that. But our grand opening, can you give me a drum roll, please? <laughs> drum roll. Our grand opening will be September 9th and 10th, 2017. Can you believe it? The dream is finally coming true. So that's the first question. Second question there on your outline. Many of you turned in your forms and you asked, what is the church's stand on homosexuality. And here's my answer. Write this one down. Pastor Dwayne next week. (laughs) Pastor Dwayne next week. Now, before you start thinking, oh, nice one, Pastor Paul, give Dwayne the tough ones. Can I tell you, I think your toughest questions are right here in my hand. I have a whole dozens of questions. So many of you ask this question over and over again. Let me read some. Why does God heal some people but not others? If God loves everyone, why can't he stop bad things from happening? Here's this next one. Why me? Why does my life keep having challenges that cause me to be unhappy? Am I not a good person? Or what about this one? When children or teenagers suffer, like long-term painful suffering like cancer, mental illness, mental disorders, and other severe illnesses, what's up with that? I mean, this whole stack is asking the same question, the question that's there on your outline, why do bad things happen? It's a question, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? You know, the heart of this question is known in theological circles as the problem of evil. C.S. Lewis summed it up this way. If God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, either God lacks goodness or power or both. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever asked the question? Have you ever asked, why do our loved ones get cancer? Why do great couples who would be great parents have to suffer a miscarriage? Have you ever asked these kinds of questions? I remember the first time I asked, I was only 12 years old. My dad divorced my mom, abandoned our family, and literally at 12 years old, I shook my hand towards heaven. I said, God, if you're so good, Why did you let this bad thing happen to my family? Just want to start out this message today by acknowledging that some of you are here this this very day and you're asking the question because you're in terrible pain and you're suffering and you're working through a loss. And I want to tell you, I do not take that lightly. I am going to answer this question the best way that I can. But I wanna tell you on the front end, you're not gonna like everything I say, and no matter what I say, I cannot make your pain and suffering magically disappear. You're not gonna go at the end of my message, wow, Pastor Paul, that explains everything. I'm better now, thank you. (laughs) That will not happen. I'm gonna answer it the best way I know how, and the best way I know how to do that is just to break down this question into bite-sized chunks. So here's the question. It starts out, if God is so good, if God, here's the question, would you write this down? If God, here's the question, does God even exist? Does God even exist in the first place? This whole question about God's existence, it reminds me of the story of two young teenagers, Man, they were constantly getting in trouble. I mean, they were stealing stuff, getting in fights, ditching school. And and these boys, their poor mom didn't know what to do. So she went to the local minister and she said, hey, would you talk to my sons? Would you you just put a little fear of God in them for me? Because I can't control them anymore. The pastor said, sure, I'll be happy to. I'll talk to one on Tuesday after school and the next one on Wednesday. So Tuesday afternoon comes, and the little boy goes to the church, and they sit him in the pastor's office, and the boy's sitting there. The pastor walks in, and he sits behind his big, ominous desk. The pastor just looks at the little boy and says these words, young man, where is God? Boy, <laughs> didn't know what to say. He just sat there kind of shaking a little bit. The pastor kind of hit his desk, and he said, I asked you a question. Where is God? Now the boy's like, who is this guy? What's going on? I'm freaking me out. And the pastor stood up, banged his desk, and he said, I asked you, where is God? Well, boy, man, he totally panics. He jumps out of the seat. He runs all the way home, slams the door, runs up the stairs, locks the door, runs up to his brother and says, oh, my gosh, we're in big trouble this time. His brother said, what do you mean? He says, God is missing, and they think we took him. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, I tell you that story because... Many times, when we go through pain and suffering, we wonder, where is God? (laughs) Like, why didn't God show up and do something? Why didn't God stop this bad thing from happening? You know, many times, our pain can cause us to conclude that God is not real, that God doesn't even exist. Like, if God was real, and if he really cared about me, he wouldn't let this happen. There is no God. So the question, does God exist? Let me tell you the answer. Yes. Absolutely. God is real, and he really wants you to know him. And so he reveals himself to us, and he does it through his word and through the world. Romans 1.20 on your outline tells us, for ever since the world was created... People have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God, that God exists. Friends, think with me for just a moment. Think of all the beauty and majesty and power and symmetry and intricacies and order in the world. Friends, you can be confident. This didn't just happen by accident. Philosopher William Haley wrote these words. There simply cannot be a design without a designer. French philosopher Voltaire on your outline stated this. He said, if a watch proves the existence of a watchmaker, but the universe does not prove the existence of a great architect, then I consent to be called a fool. Let me me bring it down to our level. Let me put it this way. If you left for church this morning, and your house was a total mess, a disaster, like dirty clothes everywhere, dirty dishes in the sink, garbage overflowing, beds not made, and then you went to church, but when you came home, your house was spotless. You would not conclude that, oh, there must have been a great earthquake, or a tornado, or some explosion, you would conclude that someone came in and they made order out of your chaos. In fact, on your outline, did you know that Charles Darwin himself, the father of evolutionary theory, from his book Origin of Species, he said this, and I quote, to suppose that the eye with so many parts all working together, could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Friends, look around this world. Look around this room. Look at people. Look at creation, the beauty, majesty, power, order, complexity. Design not only implies the existence of a designer, but it requires intelligent an an intelligent designer known as God the answer is yes God exists he created this world and he created you and you are not an accident well let's bite off the next chunk if God is so good it begs the question is God good is God good A lot of people believe in God, but they look at all the pains and problems in the world, and then they conclude, yes, God exists, but he must be a million miles away. Or, yes, God exists, but he's not a nice God. He must be a vengeful, mean God pouring out his wrath. I mean, how can you look at all the evil and bad stuff in the world and say that God is good? Well, friends, the truth is we're not always very good judges of what is ultimately good. Let me see if I can explain it this way. The difference between how a kid and how a father might look at three very simple things. So for example, uh, a vaccine, a shot to protect against measles or polio, and a plate of vegetables, and a pooper scooper. Now, the difference between how a kid and a dad might look at these things, the kid would say, Dad, you're mean. That shot hurts me, and I don't like that. And, Dad, those vegetables are yucky because I want cake for dinner. And, Dad, please, that's just gross. Why do I have to clean up after the dog? It's not fair. And then on the other side, the dad, our good, good father says, I know it hurts for a second but this momentary pain will protect you for a lifetime. And I love you, and I want you to grow up to be strong and healthy and not be sick on junk food all the time. And just having this pooper scooper implies that we have been blessed as a family to have a loving pet, and if you don't do this chore that you don't enjoy, the whole house will end up stinking, and you'll always be stepping in it. (laughs) So here's the question. Is the dad good or bad? See, sometimes we're not the best judges of what is good and what is not good. So let's apply this to God. Is God good? Well, God has chosen to reveal his goodness in two key ways. His word and his son, Jesus Christ. And both of them clearly tell us that God is good. In fact, look on your outline in Psalm 118, verse 1. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is what? Good. Good. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. God's word tells us from beginning to end that everything God does flows from his total and complete perfect goodness and love. And then God proved his word and backed it up By giving us his son. In fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us this. But God demonstrates his own love for us, his own goodness in this. While we were still sinners, while we were not being very good, Christ died for us. See, friends, look at me. Jesus is not some distant God that just, like got everything started, and then he left us to just go through our pain and problems and our life all on our own. Jesus Christ entered in, I mean, all the way in, and he took the worst that the world had to offer. See, Jesus went through something really bad on the cross so that we could have something really good, God's forgiveness and his gift of eternal life. Friends, listen to me, God exists, he's really good, but we still haven't answered the question, why do bad things happen? And before I answer that, we have some other questions we wanna wrestle with. So take a look at this, we call it the hot seat.
1: Hey, Crossroads, my name is Becca. I'm the junior high director here, and I'm with Mike Mason in the hot seat, and we're gonna ask him some tough questions. Okay, Mike, your first question is, are faith and science incompatible? I think when people typically ask this question, what they're asking is, are faith and science enemies, or can they work together to demonstrate the glory of God in his creation? I think the answer to that is yes. Hebrews 11.1 teaches us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And I believe that science is a way to explore and discover the creation that God has given us. Usually when people ask this question, what they're asking me is, can evolution be true and God still exist? And the answer to that, if evolution could be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, which it can't because it's not even one unified theory, it's several different theories. But even if it could, it would not disprove the existence of God. We have to remember that science answers how, not why. I think there are plenty of intelligent, educated scientists out there on both sides of this argument. But I would also say that Albert Einstein once said, science without religion is lame. But religion without science is blind what our viewers want to know next is where do dinosaurs fit into the bible well it would have to be a big bible am i right first we have to address the age of the earth that's a big question here if you believe god created everything in a literal six day period then you have a problem with a lot of the fossil record but it's not problematic if you see the creation happening in six days Um, remembering um, that in Psalm 94 and in 2 Peter 3.8, with God a day can be as a thousand years. And those are symbolic representations. They're not actually time spans. So a day to a God who's outside of time can be instantaneous, but it can also be a billion years long. Um, So the question then is, is the earth 4.5 billion years old or is it 10,000 years old? And the answer is yes. So if Adam was created in the Garden of Eden and then God creates a big tree and gives Adam a chainsaw and says, hey Adam, cut down this tree. Adam cuts it down. God says, count the rings, there are a hundred rings. So how old is the tree? Well, it's a hundred years old, but it's also just five minutes old because God just created it. So really the age of the earth to me is not not an important argument to have with people. In Genesis, we see God create in order. First we have plant life, then we have animal life, then human life. Um, So dinosaurs could fit in that sixth day of creation when God creates animals and then ultimately creates humans. Um, Interestingly enough, many people believe that the Bible does describe a dinosaur in Job chapter 40. Now it's God doing the describing and he describes what seems to be a sauropod type dinosaur like a brachiosaurus, but he does not ever describe man and the dinosaur in the same time period. So that's important to know. Interesting. Okay, your next question is, why are there no female disciples? I would say really quickly, there are female disciples. The New Testament is full of them. Now, none of the 12 apostles were female. However, that was simply just because of the culture at the time. Um, It would have impeded Jesus' ability to be respected. But if you look through the leadership Paul mentions while greeting the members of the early church in the New Testament, there are many, many, many female leaders. And there's even one who is alleged as an apostle. Her name is Junia. Another question for you is, Will our pets be in heaven? It is incredible how divided people are by this question. So we know animals are not created in the image of God. They don't sin and they don't bear moral responsibility. And so Christ did not die for the animals. That said, he didn't need to. And we do know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there will be animals in eternity. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 65, 23. If animals could make us happier in heaven, according to the Billy Graham Association, then they will be there. The real question is, will they be our animals? And that's, here's an interesting take. Maybe all animals will be in heaven. If you check out Revelation 5:13, it implies that every animal ever created even those which have died or under the earth will be singing songs of praise to God. And we also read in Romans 8:21 that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay that we cause as humans and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So what that means is it's very possible that all living things that God ever created will be with those of us who are his redeemed children in eternity. So boom, facted. All right, thanks, Mike. You dropped a lot of information on us today. Thank you for sitting in our hot seat, and we'll see you next week.
0: All right. So, guys, did you get it? Will pets be in heaven? If, if, if you didn't hear it, let me clarify. Dogs, yes. Cats, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just, <laughs> hey, kidding. Kidding. We all know cats go wherever they want, right? So, okay, let, let's come back and let's just summarize where we are. Here's where we are. If God, does God exist? He's real. Yes, he exists, and he wants to be real in your life. If God is so good, friends, he is good. He's your good father, and he loves you, and we see that in Christ. If God is so good, why do bad things happen? Now, write this down. Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, first of all, I want to touch on this reason. It's such a big problem. I would argue because there is a lot of unintentional, False advertising going on in churches and in Christianity. False advertising. Let me explain it this way. There are many churches who have boldly proclaimed that life is better with God. Life is better with God. And I want to tell you, I believe that with all my heart. We just need to make sure that we define better the right way. The problem is so many people define better as meaning, well, that means I'll never get cancer. Yet we have some beloved brothers and sisters in our very church who love God, serve him faithfully, and they're battling cancer. Or they define better as meaning I'll never lose my job. Or if if my life is better than God, they define better as meaning nothing bad will ever happen to my kids. And yet one of the the, the men I admire most, not just in this church, but in the world, man, his son is going through a very difficult, painful time. You see this idea that if I get God in my life, everything will get better, and all my problems will magically melt away. That's simply not true, friends, and Jesus never said that. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. Look at what Jesus said in John 16, He said, in this world, you will have what? That's the truth. That's the truth. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you know there's no promise that says if you do life with God, that it's gonna be trouble-free and it's always gonna be better. If you believe that, you're gonna have a problem when you go to heaven and you talk to Job. Job, who was blameless and upright in every way, and yet he lost everything that mattered to him for a season of life. And you're going to have a problem when you talk to John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus, and yet he was beheaded in prison while Christ was nearby and who did nothing about it. Or you're going to have a problem when you talk to the Apostle Paul, who was as faithful as anyone can be, yet many times he was beaten and imprisoned and left for dead time and time again. And you're gonna have a problem talking with our dear sister, Candace Wright Rendon. Candace became a committed follower of Christ right here at Crossroads close to 20 years ago. She grew in her faith, she became one of our key leaders, and then she moved away with her family to Oregon. Well, in the past several years, she has been fighting and battling for her life, battling multiple sclerosis. And just this week, out of the blue, she sent me this letter, and I'd like to read it to you now. She writes, I belong to Jesus, and I've been living for him for nearly 20 years. While living for him, there has been tragedy and triumph alike as God has watched over my family through it all. He made me be strong and kind with the heart of a servant. And there was fun and love and laughter, family and friends and music and dancing with Louie. There's always been music and dancing. Then this happened. And over the course of just a few years, my framework has been nearly ruined. I can no longer use my physical body for the good of anyone or anything and my intellect and emotions have become strangers to me. I have permanent brain damage and vertigo, accompanied by a loss of my wit and my words. I've said goodbye to an impactful career, and the former calm and measured responses have been taken hostage by this unrecognizable woman. This insidious illness continues to take my life as it progresses. And although I am but a shadow of my former self, I fight and mourn every loss with tons of sobs and waving fists and a prayerful pleading heart. But make no mistake, friends, God is still good and God is still love and he is always faithful. He never changes Jesus and I have been crying and grieving together as we pray and petition for a miracle. And when I feel and behave like I just can't go on, he goes on for me. You see, things look different from down here, and even though I vacillate between hope and despair, I experience joy in the margins and can clearly see all my blessings. See, friends, can I tell you both Candace and Jesus tell us the truth that life is not always better with God if you define better as problem-free and pain-free. So let me give you the truth. Let me give you the Christian response of why bad things happen from the Bible. Would you write these down? The first reason, five major reasons. The first one is simply sin. We live in a world that is stained and corrupted by sin. The world is no longer the garden of Eden. We are under the curse of sin, and therefore sinful things happen. Now, my observation of people is that most of us, we have this natural tendency to take credit for all the good things in our lives and then blame God for all the bad. See, most of the bad things that happen, though, can I tell you, have nothing to do with God. It's a result of sin and selfishness. Most of the evil that happens is a direct result of people willfully choosing to disobey God. It's not God's will that a family get killed by a drunk driver, or that a little girl get raped or molested, or that refugees get bombed by poisonous gas in a faraway country. That is not God. That is the result of sin. Secondly, would you write this one down? Because sometimes I have to tell you the truth. Sometimes it is God. Sometimes it's God's testing. One of my mentors once told me, he said this, God is more concerned with my character than my comfort. And so there are times where God may allow or cause, depending on your theology, he may allow or cause challenging things to happen in your life because testing produces perseverance and character and faith. First Peter 1.7 says it this way. The purpose of these troubles is to test your faith as fire tests how genuine gold is. And your faith is more precious than gold. And by passing the test, it gives praise, glory, and honor to God. And this will happen when Jesus Christ appears again. Now, the third reason that bad things happen is Satan, the attacks of Satan. If you are a Christian, you understand you have an enemy who hates God and who hates everything that God loves. And above all else, God loves you. So Satan comes to kill and steal and destroy. He comes to attack. First Peter 5 8 and 9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil. He wants to devour you. The fourth reason, would you write this down, is free will. Free will. Friends, when God created you, he did not make you to be a robot, but to live in a relationship with him. A relationship where you have the ability to believe and respond and to choose God's love or reject it. You see this ability to choose in Joshua 24, 15, where the Bible says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. See, you have have a free will, an ability to choose. And this whole idea for you to really understand it, friends, we have to have clarity on God's ultimate goal, God's ultimate purpose in making this world and making us in the first place. Here it is. God's ultimate goal in creation was to make a people who would freely choose to love him back. That's his highest value, his greatest goal, to make a people who would freely choose to love him back. See, God didn't want to create brainwashed puppets who just walk around saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. See, I love how Billy Graham says it on your outline where he says, only voluntary love satisfies the heart of God. See, God wanted a people who would freely decide and choose to enter into a true love relationship with him. And the very nature of that freedom implies the existence of things to choose between. See, if I'm really free to choose what is good, I must also be free to choose the bad. If I'm really free to choose what is right, I must also be free to choose what is wrong. And if God made me so that I'm freely, where I could freely choose to love him, I must also be free to reject him. And that's exactly what happened in the fall. And when you understand God's ultimate purpose to make people who would freely choose to love him back, you understand that that freedom, freedom is always bought at a high price. And God values our free will so much that he will not override our freedom, even if it means that people he loves and cares about will hurt and suffer and sometimes even die. Well, there's one last reason on your outline. Would you write this down? It's simply that the question in and of itself, the question is flawed. It's flawed. One time a man came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he asked that question fully convinced that he was a good person and that his goodness earned him a spot in heaven. But Jesus re- surprised him with his response when he said in Mark ten eighteen, why do you call me good? No one is good, what? Except God alone. Do you know on, one time Mother Teresa, she was holding a baby that had just died in the streets of Calcutta. And she was asked by an angry reporter, You know, you're trying to help all these poor people in the name of God. Well, let me ask you, where was God when this baby died? And Mother Teresa just responded this way. She said, God was here suffering with this baby. The real question is, where was you? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? See, Mother Teresa's indictment is is really, we're, we're not as good as we think we are. You see, the foundational problem with this question is, is why do bad things happen to good people? The question is flawed. The answer is, bad things don't happen to good people, because in reality, none of us are good. Many of us, you're going to push back and say, no, wait a second, I'm a good person, but can I tell you, in the eyes of God, We have to understand the truth that our heart is deceitful above all things. We're flawed, we're sinful, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the eyes of God, even our best attempts as righteousness are considered filthy rags. We are not good people. Look yourself in the mirror and deal with this reality. You can't even live up to your own standards of right and wrong, let alone God's. See, bad things do not happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad and sinful people like you and me. Now, some of you don't like that. Some of you are pushing back, and you're tempted to say, but that's not fair. God's not fair, and can I tell you, you're right. God's not always fair, but God is always good. If you start with the goodness of God, then you're going to thank Him that He's not always fair because here's the deal. Here the reality is, the question should be reversed. It shouldn't be, why do bad things happen to good people? We should be asking, why do good things happen to bad people like me? And that's the essence of the gospel. Friends, God is always good. He's always just, but he isn't always fair. And you see that clearly in Psalm 103, 10 through 12, because he doesn't always treat us as our sin deserves. Look at what it says here. God does not treat us as our sin deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Now, if you want to say, well, bad things should only happen to bad people in your mind you say well it's only fair well let me point you back to jesus jesus is a perfect example of the best person who ever lived and yet the worst thing happened to him why so that the best thing could happen for you and me are so that our sins could be forgiven, and so that we could spend eternity in heaven with God, something that we don't deserve or could ever earn. Now, as you look at your outline, I want to ask you, what do we do with a message like this? How do we respond? Well, friends, that really depends on what group you're in. Right now, you are either in one of two groups. You're either in the group of those who are hurting or you're in the group of those who are called to be helpers. The hurting or the helpers. So let me say, if you're in the first group tonight, if you're hurting, if you're suffering, what do you do? Well, here's what I would ask of you this night. I would simply ask you to just stay open. Stay open to God's love and care and comfort. I understand more than you need answers You need comfort and care. And I would just ask you, don't shut God out. Don't push him away. Be honest with your hurt and anger and frustration, but ask him to show up in a real way with his comfort and care. And for those of us in the other group who are strong right now, we are called to be God's answer to their prayers. We're to take all the comfort that God has poured into us and pass it on. And I can't think of a more beautiful way to end this message by having us look at what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. It says, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. And that's what I want us to pray for right now. Would you pray with me? Now maybe you're here tonight and you're in the first group. You're hurting. It's painful and scary and you're angry and upset. And if you're real honest, you'd say, I just have a hard time seeing God right now or feeling God. I'm just asking, would you stay open? If you're hurting now or someone that you love and care about is hurting, and you'd say, man, I don't know what to do. Would you, would you just pray for me? If you would like me to pray for you tonight, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up. I want to I see you. You're saying, I'm in that first group. I'm going through it. And I just need some prayers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you, thank you. I'm gonna pray for you right now. Father God, Lord of all comfort and care during the storms of life, for those who are hurting right now, pray that you would show up, that you'd show up in all of our lives in such a real way that we would understand that you are not only here, but that you care for us. I ask you to use circumstance, your word, your Holy Spirit, to deeper than our pain, to enter into our hearts and our minds and our souls and give us peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. For those who are grieving, Lord, I pray for your presence, for your goodness, and that you'd show up. And I pray for those of us who are called to be your church, that we would actively be your loving embrace and your healing touch for those who are suffering. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.